created holy and free and in communion with God, the earth and its citizens fell under a satanic blockade at the fall. A dark veil fell over the world. Communication between heaven and earth was throttled as earth became a silent planet. The world's memory of God grew dim, and what it did remember of him was largely twisted and distorted. Mere projections of lost humanity's lust for power and fame onto the screen of the sky. Humans still groped in the dark for God. We read about that in Job 12, verse 25. But fallen angels channeled this search away from God and offered them beasts to worship. You want something to worship? Here. Here's an ugly religion. How about some self-hating, self-harming rituals? Humanity made in the beautiful image of God languished in the shadows and silence, nearly becoming the beasts they worshipped. But one day in the heart of the Shadowlands, long under the dominion of devils, a man named Abram heard the forgotten voice of God as clear as day. Abram was almost a nobody among the powers of this world. No one really noticed when he left his homeland, but his departure from Ur marked the beginning of a 2,000-year-long operation in which heaven worked, often quietly, often modestly, to rebel against and subvert the wicked powers of the world and break this satanic blockade. Satan may have noticed a mighty empire forming, but Israel, the nation born from Abram, it was tiny, overlooked. Holy men in Israel were blessed with hearing so sensitive they could hear the still small voice of God when everyone else only heard silence. They preached, they prophesied, they taught this nation long-lost knowledge of God. These men, usually strange and completely out of step with the ways of the world, were called prophets. They prepared the nation for the day heaven would launch a full-scale invasion, and they called this future day the Day of the Lord. The prophets did their work behind the scenes while the eyes of the world watched the rise and fall of empires. Somewhere in the course of time, the satanic realm grew wise to the danger Israel posed to their reign. So all the empires of the world took turns tempting, oppressing, even enslaving Israel. Nevertheless, no power could stop the countdown. Under the careful vigil of the satanic blockade, the invasion finally came. While the principalities nervously watched the rulers of the house of Israel for one the prophets said would be the mighty son of God, the invasion started in the womb of a common woman named Mary. Bethlehem became the beachhead, God's foothold in the world and a host of angels burst into the sky to announce his arrival. And we're going to hear much more about that right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry. I am happily your host, and you are listening to the God's Word for Life companion podcast. Today's episode stems from a lesson dated October 16th, 2022, entitled, Go Home to Your Friends. And it comes from Mark chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Who is this? What's this all about? I'm glad you asked. Let's get into it. 
The years passed, and the world remained much as it was before. The dark powers kept track of the Son of God, but nothing of great significance seemed to happen. With impunity, they continued the reign of terror, corrupting men and women, afflicting them, affecting them, sometimes even taking possession of their bodies. But things suddenly changed in the Son of God's 30th year. It started when he was baptized by the prophet John. He immediately showed up at Satan's earthly headquarters in the desert. As if to deliver a notice of the end of Satan's rule, take down its flag, hoist the flag of the kingdom of God in its place, and serve the devil notice that his reign was coming to an end. The demonic powers knew the virtual silence between heaven and earth was broken, and God's voice was beginning to broadcast to the masses. He was preaching from mountains and teaching by the seaside in parables of the kingdom of God. A massive shudder of fear rippled throughout the satanic kingdom when the Son of God faced down a demon in a synagogue. Luke 4, verses 33 through 37. The devil had full possession of a man, his grip so firm and complete, he could sit with no fear of losing control over the man at any point, even in a holy place where religious rulers read the scriptures. Suddenly the devil found himself looking squarely into the Son of God's fearful eyes. Without warning, he was being effortlessly evicted from the man's life with nowhere to go. For the first time since the day humanity fell into sin and under Satan's tyrannical rule, the kingdom of darkness was in retreat. Men and women were starting to rebel against the powers of this world. The devil's only recourse was to work with the religious rulers. Ironic, isn't it? And convince them that this messianic figure named Jesus was actually operating under the power of Satan. Things got even worse for the demonic rulers of this age. It was one thing to lose influence in the land of the prophets and Abram's descendant, but the most devastating sign of the collapse of Satan's dominion would be the loss of a Gentile in Gentile lands. It would be like Jesus defeating the devil on his own court. Here's a question. How do you think the disciples reacted when they heard Jesus was going into Gentile territory? It would be what we call in college football a road game. He was not on his home court in Israel. He was going into Gentile territory. After teaching and healing many in Israel, the Son of God told his followers that it was time to pass over to the other side, to the land of the Gentiles on the other side of the sea. Jesus was on his way with every intention of humiliating Satan in his stronghold, on his court, in his field, among the Gentiles. On this trip, the devastation to the devil's kingdom was almost total. Although a storm raged on the sea, Jesus was able to calm that storm. He spoke two words and turned the storm into a testimony of his power. In Galilee, there were sordid stories of the powers of this world possessing a human body. There were even stories where several demons would control one man at one time. But this story seemed to top all the others. On the other side of Galilee was a man who served as a military camp for a legion of devils. A legion was somewhere from 2,000 to 5,000 soldiers. That's a lot of devils in one man. These weren't just any soldiers. They were highly skilled, professional soldiers capable of taking out any opposition. And this legion of devils dragged this wretched man to the lowest state a man could experience. Sleep escaped him. He cried out night and day. He lived in nightmares. He cut himself severely, maybe to know whether he was even yet alive. He was so completely at the mercy of this expert demon special force that he could not answer in his own name. He sought shelter, but not from the rain or the wind or the elements. No, he lived in the tombs as one dead, seeking shelter from the living, shelter from the clean. 
but he was Legion's man. And as an example of his supernatural power, he was able to break metal chains. This was the demonic force, the satanic seal team, if you will, that the Son of God, weary from a full day of work, was coming after. Jesus was going straight for the jugular. The disciples and crowd would soon see if the Son of God could dispatch Legion, well, he could defeat anyone. Everyone was terrified of this man, but nobody could do anything about him. The people in town didn't feel safe with him anywhere near their homes. He was too strong for Gadara's strongest men. They tried to bind him with chains, but he snapped the chains like twigs. They tried to tame him, but he was untamable because he was possessed. The Gadarenes just wanted peace and quiet, but they could not ignore one piercing truth. This man was not an animal. He was a son. He was probably a brother, possibly a father. He needed what we all need. He needed compassion. Let's have compassion on those who feel rejected in our world. Let's look for those who need somebody to notice them, to care for them. We might not be able to meet all their needs, but we can smile, we can greet them, we can restore humanity to them. We might be able to help somebody who was created in the image of God to see that they still are in the image of God. Here's another question. Can you think of anybody who might feel rejected to whom you can show the compassion of Jesus Christ this week? When Jesus came to shore, thousands of devils rushed toward him. They found themselves reluctantly bowing down as if under the power of a far greater force. They panicked because they knew they only had moments of relative freedom left. Legion cried out with a loud voice, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God, don't torment me. It was an act of pure desperation. Legion was trying in the name of God to cast out God in the flesh. These devils were not just in the middle of a defeat. They were being routed on every level. They were caught in the embarrassing posture of worshiping a human being like the humans they had been toying with for thousands of years. But this human was crowned with glory and honor and dominion. In the Garden of Eden, Adam was given dominion over everything, but he forfeited that dominion when he sinned. But Jesus sinlessly wielded that dominion Adam was created to wield. The demons even found themselves disparaging their own leader, Satan, by acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God, not their leader. The figure standing before them was higher than the Lord they served, and the only source of hope for this demonic force was to retreat into a herd of pigs. <laughs> wow, how the mighty have fallen. This story betrays the confusion the demon-possessed man wrestled with. In one place he spoke, saying, I, me, and my, all singular pronouns, referring to himself, and then in the very same sentence he referred to himself in the plural. My name is Legion, for we are many. It seemed like the chaos and disorder in the Sea of Galilee just minutes ago were also in the possessed man. Satan's kingdom is a kingdom of disorder and chaos and confusion. When we learned in our last episode, the sea was often thought to be symbolic of chaos and disorder. And maybe that's one reason the demons asked Jesus to send them into the swine. Well, as soon as he did, they compelled the animals to take them right to the sea. One-way ticket to the sea, please. They could not abide in a state of God-ordained order. God was there, and he was there to restore order that he intended. And when the man who was possessed was freed, Scripture's next scene shows him sitting with Jesus, clothed, thankfully, and in his right mind. When he spoke after being set free, we see order restored. He, he speaks as one person. In Mark's gospel, being clothed or being naked is sometimes symbolic of how close or how distant people are from Jesus. 
Nakedness was associated with disorder, chaos, isolation. Clothed, well, that was associated with being in fellowship with God and other humanity. When the possessed man was far from Jesus, he was naked. Or as they say in the South, he was naked. But when Jesus reclaimed him, he was clothed. His identity was lost and submerged beneath the identity of the enemy who seeks to destroy human identity and dignity. But God gave us that dignity and humanity when he created us in his image. It's easy sometimes to think an individual becomes more distinct and unique in practicing sin, but in our sinfulness, we are all dreadfully similar. All the sins, all the crimes, all the faults, they bear this tedious resemblance to one another all the world over. The stories of dictators and tyrants are all mind-numbingly the same. When we sin, we fall into the same patterns and cycles of selfishness, suffering, despair, and we lose what makes us unique. That is, that we were created by God in His image. What about God's call on your life makes you unique and uniquely valuable? When Jesus comes into our lives, He reestablishes our identity. Thank God for that. The sins that once bound us took away the freedom of our will, chained us to addictions and destructive behavior. They no longer have the same power over us. We are free to become more fully ourselves, sons and daughters of God. The Apostle Paul spoke of being fully known once we stand face to face with Jesus, when our true identity is fully realized when we are transformed in glory. The Apostle John heard the glorified Jesus say that the one who overcomes sin in the world will be given a new name which no man knows, saving he who receives it, Revelation 2, verse 17. Our identity will be so completely unique that we will be given a new name shared only between us and Jesus. This freshly freed man was so thankful. He offered to follow Jesus from town to town. He wanted to be one of Jesus' disciples. But Jesus refused. He wouldn't allow him to go with him and his followers. Rather, Jesus commissioned him to go home to tell his friends what the Lord had done for him. Jesus had compassion on the man and expected that compassion to inspire him to testify to his friends and family of the goodness and the power of God. The demonic forces would not allow the man to speak, but Jesus commissioned him to speak. But he did not commandeer the man. The kingdom of the enemy and the kingdom of God are fundamentally different in their regards for human beings. The man had a very real testimony that God changed his life and his eternity, and God commissioned him to tell his story to the people who knew him best, because nobody knows us like our family. Nobody knows us like our friends, and nobody needs to hear our testimony like our family and our friends. Perhaps God gave you the job you have, not just so you could put food on your table, but Perhaps people at your job know who you are now and who you used to be. While they may not be able to figure out what happened to you or how, they need you to testify. Take the witness stand at work or at school or in the teller line and testify to your family and friends what you have seen God do in your life and others. Nothing testifies more powerfully of the power of God than our testimony. The man from Gadara was one of the first missionaries Jesus ever sent, and he didn't know theology. He had not been in a Sunday school class. But he could tell a story, and he did, and so must we. Today you can be part of God's great mission simply by sharing your testimony and telling others of God's great grace and great power. One more question. Who needs to hear your testimony? And how can you share your testimony with them this week? Okay, we wrap this up. Our lives are stories. 
Better yet, we place ourselves in a bigger story that was written before we even existed. When we came along, we became that story's latest edition. This story, the really big story, the story that everyone, including God, angels, and demons, take part in, this story gives us meaning and makes our lives intelligible. The story is the standard by which we judge the rightness or the wrongness of our actions. The story of Jesus we read in the Bible was only the start of the invasion of righteousness into sinfulness. It started in Judea, and then it spread into Samaria, and now we're bringing that invasion of heaven to the uttermost parts of the earth. Christ has empowered and commissioned us to continue the work he started. We are rebels against the high rulers of this world. We don't walk in the way of this world. In this story, there is no neutral. We are either for Jesus or against him. Paul taught that the soldiers in the army of the Lord were once in darkness, but now are children of light, Ephesians 5 verse 8. When scripture speaks in terms of children of light or darkness, it's referring to spiritual warfare, the two sides of a cosmic war. Baptism in the name of Jesus is not merely a symbolic token of the remission of our sins. It is spiritual warfare. It's a clear signal of whose side we're on. Baptism means declaring to the principalities that we are soldiers in the invading force, the rebellion against Satan's rule. We are part of the army of the Lord. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Matthew 6 verse 9. Our loyalty is to him alone and not to the kingdom of this world. Jesus also told us to pray, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. In other words, just as the rule of God is perfect in heaven, perfect order, perfect love, we are in the process of making that perfect rule reality right here in this world. The enemy is defeated, but in his long retreat, he still seeks out those he might devour. Let us never lose sight of the role the apostolic church plays. We must be careful lest we put ourselves into a story of our own making, imagining it to be better to be a hero in our own story than a servant in God's. In the end, there will only be one story, only one hero, only one people of God. And one day, God's kingdom will completely subvert the kingdoms of the enemy, and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray for us to have confidence in God's power over evil, and then also for God to give us compassion for the rejected and share our story with those who desperately need to hear it. In Jesus' name, help us, Lord, to see you as you are. You're the Almighty God. You're the Everlasting Father. You're the Prince of Peace. You are wonderful. You are Counselor. You are far greater than any demonic power or force in this world, far greater than any principality or any ruler of this world. We ask you today, God, give us that confidence and hope and trust in you that you are greater than anything we will face. And help us to have compassion and love those who this world has rejected and help us to share our testimony with others who need to hear it. May we learn the lesson from this particular story that our friends and family need to hear our testimony. And help us to be willing to share it with them, all for the glory of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Be sure to click subscribe, share, click the bell, click the like button, click the follow button, click the, oh yeah, this is cool button. Whichever button you can find to click, go ahead and click it. Subscribe to this podcast and share it with others, and they will never miss an episode. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Head over to PentecostalPublishing.com because there are great resources there that will also be a blessing to you and help you in your devotional walk as well as helping others in theirs. I 
talked with somebody recently who was telling me about God's Word for Life Companion podcast, and they really enjoyed the podcast, but asked if it would be published or should be published before the Sunday when the class is typically scheduled. So to give them a little bit of a head start to hear the lesson before it's taught as a way of maybe helping them prepare, and I am all for it. If that is what would be better, more of a preview than a recap, I am all for it. I would like to hear from you. If you would please send a message to me on Facebook, you can find me the God's Word for Life Facebook page, and the link will be in the show notes. I would like to hear from you if you would like this to be published and each episode to drop on Saturday before the Sunday, or if you would rather it drop Monday after the Sunday and be more recap than preview. Let's see what you think, and we'll go from there. So I, I value your feedback and how this can be best used for the glory of God and the cause of discipleship. Next week, I want to share with you an episode called In Every Nation, and it's all in celebration of All Nations Sunday. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week, and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.